experience life. And the longer that I live and work with people that are hurting and broken, the more that I'm convinced that we live our lives within the tension that exists between Friday and Sunday. We live within the two, or we live within the reality, within that tension of two opposite theologies. The theology of the cross, Friday. And the theology of glory, and that is Sunday. Sometimes our journey with Christ will take us down the path of the cross, where there's pain, suffering, and even death. At other times, he leads us down the path of glory, where there is healing, beauty, majesty, and life. I think the Apostle Paul said it the best in Philippians 3.10 when he said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. That's Sunday. And the participation in his sufferings. That's Friday. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, we can't know Christ fully. We can't know Christ deeply without embracing both the sufferings of Friday and the glory of Sunday. Let me see if I can give you an illustration. Imagine that you're in a car in one of our really, really severe winter storms in Michigan. Say you're up in the UP, in the middle of nowhere. And it's a blizzard, wide-out conditions. You, your car veers off the road, and you go into a ditch, and you're hopelessly stuck out in the middle of nowhere. You know that you'll soon run out of gas. It's too far to walk, too far to hike. Your cell phone is dead. You got no one to call. And you know that without help, you're going to die. You're going to freeze to death. So you do what every person or at least most every person would do in that situation you cry out to God and say Jesus save me help me you wait just a few minutes and all of a sudden you hear the sound of an approaching vehicle it's a tow truck and guess who's driving the tow truck Jesus himself he hooks up the tow truck to your vehicle, he pulls your car out of the ditch, he, he, he gets you out of the car, and he puts you in the front seat, and he gives you a hot, warm cup of coffee, cranks up the heater, and you drive away. That's the theology of glory. That's Sunday. And at times, we experience that, don't we? God shows up, and he does something amazing in our lives, something we can't explain. That's Sunday. That's glory. But we also live within the, the, the tension of the, of the opposite reality. And that is Friday, the cross. So to think of the same situation, the same scenario. Your vehicle goes off the road, you're there in the ditch again. Can't call for help, can't go for help, knowing that soon you'll run out of gas and freeze to death. And you cry out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus does show up. And then he climbs into the car with you, and he dies with you. That's the theology of the cross. That's Friday. And folks, 
We live our lives somewhere in the middle, somewhere within that tension of these two poles of reality, suffering and glory, Friday and Sunday. And I don't understand why we suffer. I don't understand why good things, or I'm sorry, why bad things happen to good people. I'm asked that question almost every week, and I don't have an answer for it. All I know is that it is Friday, but Sunday is coming. For all of us, we will all experience times of Friday and then times of Sunday. But the question I want to pose to you this morning is what happens when Friday meets Sunday? When the cross is swallowed up by glory, what happens when the hurt and the healer collide? What is that like? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. This is from the New Living Translation, so it might read a little different than your uh, translation unless you're using that one. Paul says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is talking about here what one preacher calls the miracle of the third thing. The miracle of the third thing, and that is simply this. When our hurt and our healer collide, when our suffering is offered up to our Savior, that's the miracle of the third thing. Paul said, three times I besought the Lord to take this pain, this torment. He called it a thorn in his flesh. Three times he besought the Lord to take it away. Now listen to who we're talking about. The Apostle Paul, who wrote at least two-thirds of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus. The Apostle Paul, who performed miracles. The Apostle Paul, who preached and established churches all over first, uh, the first century world of his day and of his time. He begged God three times, take it away. But God said, no, I won't. I will do something better. And that is, I will give you my grace you see, when our pain and our hurt is offered up to God, then we experience that, that grace-saturated embrace of God. The miracle of the third thing occurs. There's healing. Now, please understand, the healing doesn't always mean that whatever we're suffering from goes away. The Apostle Paul didn't have his thorn in the flesh removed. But he said he learned that when he could offer that up to the Lord, the miracle of the third thing would happen. The healing grace, the grace-saturated embrace of God would come to him and just hold him and embrace him. I want to give you a few things to think about. 
How can we experience this miracle of the third thing? What do we have to do when we are experiencing times of cross? What do we do when it's Friday? What can we do to position ourselves in such a way that our hurt and our healer collide? First thing we have to do is to come before the Lord. That sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? Most people that I work with as a counselor don't want to come before the Lord with this stuff. They want it gone. And I don't blame them. We don't like to hurt, do we? Hurting's no fun. And so most people will devise elaborate strategies to escape the pain and the reality of their suffering. But in fact, in order to experience the miracle of the third thing, the embrace of God and the healing touch, we have to come before him with our pain and offer it to the Lord. And then we need to grieve the pain. We need to grieve this thing that has happened to us in our lives. I think of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when I think about grieving. Do you realize the grief that he bore that night? Grief so intense that really in the Greek language when it said he would take a few steps and drop to his knees, the, the, the idea is that he was, the pressure was so great that he was forced down. He couldn't stand beneath the weight. Have you ever hurt so bad that you couldn't stand up beneath the weight? Jesus did. And he fell on his face at least three different times. And he begged the Lord to let this terrible thing pass him by if he didn't have to do it. He, he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat, we are, we are told, literally became as little drops of blood. And there is a physical, biological condition that can be caused uh, by stress and, and, and duress in our lives. Well, that can literally happen. And Jesus experienced that. He even said, my soul is heavy. How heavy? To the point of death. Not the death he was facing on the cross, but he felt like he was dying. That's the grief that Jesus bore. But I'm telling you, when we grieve, something happens. Grieving isn't any fun. Nobody wants to grieve. But when we grieve, we ask the questions, what has this thing cost me? How could my life have been different had this not happened? And we grieve over the, the, the what could have been. We grieve over the lost innocence in our childhood. Some people have to grieve over a childhood that they never ever even had to, uh, were able to experience. Sometimes we grieve over the death or the loss of a loved one. Sometimes we grieve over the loss of a, of a mate in divorce. Sometimes we grieve over things that have happened in our lives that were out of our control, like abuse. And we have to come before the Lord, and we have to grieve this thing. Most of us want to forget about it. We want to run from it. We don't want to face it. But we can't experience the, the healing touch and this, that grace-saturated embrace of God unless we come before the Lord and grieve it, because every loss in our lives requires an appropriate season of grief, every loss. And then we need to begin the journey of forgiveness. Oftentimes, somebody has hurt us. Sometimes it's a parent. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's, a, it's somebody in the church. Sometimes it's a neighbor. It could be a total stranger. But most of the time when, we are, when we're experiencing deep emotional pain in our lives, it's because at some point, someone has hurt us grievously. 
And we have to begin this process of forgiveness. And I call it a process because it doesn't happen overnight. The deeper the hurt, the longer the process of healing and forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision that we make. It's not a feeling. It does not remove the memory and it does not remove the pain. It's not for the benefit of the one who has offended you. It's for the, your benefit. It's for the benefit of the offended one. You see, when we hold on to unforgiveness and we refuse to forgive someone, it's like drinking their poison and expecting them to die. We are continuing to allow them to control us, to have something over us. They're continually attached to our hip and we drag them all through life because we haven't surrendered and let them go. So in order to be free, not only do we grieve the pain and the loss, but we also begin to forgive. We have to identify and renounce the false beliefs. We all have them. Because of the wounds in our lives, oftentimes we develop a very distorted view of God or a very distorted view of ourselves, a very distorted view of the world around us. We view life through the lenses of the things that have happened to us. And oftentimes we're not even aware of that fact. We think this is normal because it's all we've ever known. But because of the offense, because of the wound, we begin to believe things that are not true. And those wounds then begin to create an emotional upheaval in our lives, which leads to sinful, dysfunctional behaviors. And that's the next thing we need to do. We need to identify and repent of these dysfunctional behaviors. These are sinful behaviors. There are four layers to these behaviors that most people experience. The first one is a pain layer. We're in pain. It hurts. So what do we want to do? We want to get away from the pain. But in effect, we silence the alarm because that's what pain is. Pain is the alarm in our soul that goes off to let us know that something is wrong. But what we want to do oftentimes is silence that alarm. It's like your smoke alarm going off in the middle of a fire, but because it's annoying you, you shut it off and go back to bed. The same thing is going on emotionally, folks. We have got to, we, we cannot silence the alarm. We have to listen to it. And a lot of times we do that through all kinds of sinful behaviors, addictive behaviors, compulsive behaviors. Then there's a layer of protection. To protect means to fortify the defensive walls. We, we build an emotional wall around us. We engage in emotional disconnect or dissociation. We control and manipulate our environment. We do whatever we have to do so that nobody else can hurt us. And that leads to all kinds of dysfunctional, sinful behaviors. And then there's a layer of provision. You see, when we were hurt, when we were wounded, we didn't get something that we desperately needed, whatever it might have been, love, acceptance, nurture, safety, security, you name it. So in this in this layer of provision, we develop dysfunctional behaviors which are sinful in order to provide for us to get the thing that we didn't get. And it can be crazy what people do to get something that they feel that they don't have. And oftentimes, they're not even aware of what it is that they don't have. So we people please, we perform, we become perfectionists, we do all kinds of things to provide for ourselves. And then lastly... There's this punishment layer. We lash out and punish the person that offended us, that hurt us, that wounded us. Oftentimes, even if they're no longer in our lives. So what do we do? We project that anger and punishment onto somebody else. 
Somebody that might remind us of them. Somebody that's in our lives, right? We punish them. Or we punish ourselves. We blame, we judge, we condemn. We may even involve ourselves in all kinds of passive-aggressive behaviors. I had a professor one time who was explaining passive-aggressive behaviors. He said, well, I can give you a personal example. He said, when my wife and I have a fight or have an argument, she said, he said, she irons my, he wore white shirts all the time. She irons my white shirts for me every night so that I'll have a nice, clean, pressed white shirt to go to my job the next day. And every time we have a fight, almost it seems to me that when I pick up my white shirt, there's an iron singe mark on there. And it's never there any other time. And when I confronted her, she just said, honestly, honey, I, I don't know. It just seems to be a coincidence. This is passive aggressive behavior. And that simply means this, instead of dealing with the problem, instead of confronting it, the pain is there and it comes out, it kind of oozes out in behaviors that we're not even aware of. And the people closest to us get singed by our irons, so to speak. I want to tell you a story in closing. Um, and, I, and this is a story about Beth's sister, her older sister, and I called her yesterday and got her permission to share this and even had her kind of refresh my memory a little bit. And I'm not going to go into um, all the details of what happened, but let me just say this. I think it was 1990 or 1991. forgot to get the exact day or exact year, but um, we got a phone call, Beth and I, that Pam and Kevin's 16-month-old daughter, Christy, was accidentally killed. It's tragic. And this, I, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that they were going through. And if you're a parent, you know what I mean. But Pam went through this intense season of grief, a horrible time of grief. Just, just horrible. And she said that as the months would go by, she, she, she just continued to feel this anger just getting worse and worse and worse. And if you, if you knew her, you would know that's just not her. And so she said she began to just deal with it honestly before the Lord. Before that, she was just kind of trying to be the good Christian wife and mom and just say, okay, Lord, I, understand, I don't understand this, but I love you and I trust you and everything's fine. When deep down inside, this horrible anger began to just churn and, and seethe within her. And so then she began to say, you know what? God knows this is here, so I'm just going to be open about it. So she began telling God how angry she was with him. God, why? You could have acted in a thousand different ways to have prevented this tragedy. Or you could have performed a, a miracle of healing. You could have even raised her from the dead. You could have done anything, but you let my little girl go. You took her. And I'm so angry with you, God. And she said, slowly... The more she did this, and by the way, this is called lamenting. This is a form of grief. When you're deeply, deeply hurt, go to God and tell him about it. And don't try to clean it up. Don't try to act like it's not there. Tell him exactly what you're feeling. Read the Psalms. That's all David did. He told God how he was feeling, even when it wasn't so good. And she did this. And over time, she said she just grieved before God. And one particular day, she said she got out her Bible. She sat down and she started to read her Bible. And the anger just came up so, so heavily 
upon her. She took her Bible and threw it. And if you knew her, this is bizarre. Just threw her Bible across the room and started just blessing God out. And she said that at that time she began to experience something that she'd never experienced before. Rather than God's judgment or anger for her, ang- for her anger towards him, she began to feel the healing touch of God. And she began to feel this love and sense of acceptance and peace just filling her heart. And over time, it got better and better and better until finally she said she reached this crossroads. And she, she went to the doctor because... Um, she wasn't feeling well and whatnot. And when she got to the doctor, she found out she was pregnant. And she was, she was happy. And then a few months later, when she went back and had her ultrasound done, she said, the ultrasound technician said, honey, you've got two babies. And she said it hit her. Twins do not run in either side of the family. She was just kind of mulling this all over in her heart. And when she got home and she walked through the door and she told her husband, Kevin, we're having twins. At that moment, she said she's never experienced this before, doesn't know she'll ever experience it again. She literally felt the arms of God wrap around her and tell her how much he loved her. And she said that he said to her, I know your name, I know your hurt, and I've never left you, and I never will. That was her turning point. And she's gone on now to become just a very healthy, emotionally healthy woman. You see, we all have questions. But the truth is, if they were explained to us, it wouldn't help. The hurt would be the same, because that's not where the source of healing comes from. Healing happens When the hurt and the healer collide, this is the miracle of the third thing. God's grace-saturated embrace. Don's going to come and close us with a song. And I just want to remind you of the verse that I read earlier. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For many of you, it's Friday. But praise God, Sunday's coming. Tell me if you want up or down.